walking through the Psalms. I've been enjoying the studies, and it really, God's just been opening my eyes, opening my heart to uh, what, is, what is in each one of these Psalms. They're very packed little Psalms, and tonight we, we uh, come to another one of these, Psalm number three, and I've entitled tonight's message, The Products of Being Smitten. Now, I'll explain that in a little bit. Maybe some of you are familiar with the word, but there are some products that come from that. And I want you to see that tonight. Look at Psalm 3, just eight verses. The Bible says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. What a great psalm tonight that we have an opportunity to look at. This is actually the first psalm as we're going through the psalms. We looked at Psalm 1, Psalm 2. But this is the first psalm that we come to, and you probably pay attention in your Bible, that actually comes with a historical title at the beginning of it. Uh, the, the Bible records that this is when David fled from his son Absalom. Uh, this is a historical psalm dealing with that time. And it, this psalm could have been written, many believe, maybe the morning after David had fled from Jerusalem, fled for his life because of Absalom and those that were mounting up with him. The Bible talks about, as David maybe woke that morning after he had left Jerusalem, spent the night. The Bible records in Proverbs 3.24, When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. That's what God desires for all of us. Even if we're going through a difficult situation like David was facing in his life with his own son rising up against him. And it's an amazing thing. People ask me a lot of times, and Dr. Rasmussen was recently here, and he's traveled more than I have. And I tell people a lot of times, God has given me, blessed me with some spiritual gifts. And probably one of my most spiritual gifts is the gift of sleep. I can pretty much sleep just about any time, anywhere, any place. And that's a blessing because I know my wife many times struggles to fall asleep. Anybody else here like that? Struggle to fall asleep at night? Let me give you a little secret to how you can fall asleep. Pray. If you start to pray, I guarantee you, you'll fall asleep. Because there is power in prayer, and the devil doesn't want God's people to pray. Now again, that doesn't mean you always pray to fall asleep. But if you're struggling, pray, and you will fall asleep. That's, that's nothing extra. I'll give that for free tonight, all right? Now, David, in this, in this psalm, and we could go to other places, 
to get some background, but understand tonight, staying in the confines of this psalm, David now is a fugitive king that is on the road to Maenaim. And as David is fleeing, this psalm, dealing in what we call the Hebrew songbook, the book of Psalms, it is actually the first one that's entitled a psalm. If you notice there in your Bible, it probably says underneath the Psalm 3, a psalm of David. It says in my Bible here, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, what that means when it says a psalm, and we know the word psalm, P-S-A-L-M-S, usually means song, but in this context, it's actually dealing with the pruning or cutting off of unneeded twigs. You ever, you ever see that a lot of times around our house? Boy, South Florida is way different than South, uh, South Carolina or South uh, California. When we were in uh, Southern California, uh, it, uh, things grow there, but they don't grow in Southern California like they grow here in South Florida. And I mean, every time I go outside, even around the church here, there's always twigs and things that are growing off. And that's what this is dealing with. It's actually dealing with the pruning or the cutting off of unneeded twigs. Uh, we find that sometimes in our lives when we try to explain things and we try to maybe at times use flowery words sometimes when, when somebody's making a speech, that when we find ourselves in trouble, okay, if we're not in trouble, boy, if, if we're trying to explain something, we will go to all lengths and all details to explain it using all kinds of words. But we're in, when we're in trouble, what we do is we cut away all those, all those flowering words and all that eloquent speech, and we just cut away everything, those unwanted sprigs, and we get right to the point. That's exactly what David does in this psalm, is David finds himself in trouble, and he cuts away all the wordy speech. A lot of scholars, Bible scholars, they, when they look at this psalm, there are times where you would have what they call a superscription at the beginning of the psalm. Remember like when Jesus was crucified, there was a, a, a superscription that was above his head as he hung there on the cross. And if you look at many of these psalms, they actually have something before the psalm, and some of them actually have something at the end of the psalm. Now, the Bible scholars, when they look at this psalm, and hopefully you'll see this tonight, here's what they believe. They believe that Psalm 3 actually ends with the postscript that's the beginning of Psalm 4. So look at the beginning of verse Psalm 4 right there in your Bible, and notice how it, it, you see this, the subscription there, superscription there, to the chief musician on Neganoth. Everybody see that in your Bible? Now let me explain that a little bit because the word Neganoth, okay, and David is writing here to the chief musician on Neganoth. Neganoth is a Hebrew word and it means smitings. It goes right along with what David is writing here in Psalm 3 and, and what he's talking about when he says smitings, he's talking about the attacks, he's talking about the affliction that he has personally endured, what he is going through in his, own, in his own life. David has been smitten, he's been attacked, he's been had things inflicted upon him, listen, by the words of his enemies. We've talked about this before, how words are powerful. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words do hurt. 
and the, the words of David's enemy. What words are they saying? Well, look what they're saying here in this psalm. They said to David, there is no help for him in God. And, and his enemies are saying, look, you, your God's not going to be any help to you. Your God can't help you in this situation. And so David has been, he has been smitten by the words of his enemy. But notice also that David has been, he is about to be smitten by the swords of his enemies. David's well aware. Uh, you know, he writes here, as you look in this uh, psalm again, he talks about tens of thousands that are against him. He says here in verse number six, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. In other words, it hasn't happened yet, but it's about to happen. See, the words of his enemy have smitten him. The swords of the enemy is about to smite him. And then notice also in this psalm, David shares that David had been smitten by the hand of the Almighty God. That God had been working in David's life. And listen, a lot of times when you look at that, remember that God only deals with you if you are his son. Now, I don't, I don't do things, and I'm sure David didn't either. Uh, but, but oftentimes, when we do something that we shouldn't do as a child of God, God's going to deal with us. The Bible uses the word chasten, whom he loves... He chastens. I loved my children a lot. You can fill in the rest of that. Here's the thing is, is that David realized in his heart that he had done something. God was bringing that, God was smiting him. And the smitings of God, folks, listen, are proof that God is at work in our lives. David was well aware that even though he had fled from his son, that David was being dealt with by God. There's another word that I want you to see, and maybe you noticed it as we read the text tonight, Psalm 3. In eight verses, there's one word that's mentioned three times. Anybody pick it up? Selah. Everybody see that word? Three different times, the word selah. Now, maybe you've heard this before, but selah, here in the book of Psalms, is associated with music. And the word selah actually is a word that means to lift up. It's kind of like, if you know anything about music, it's kind of a crescendo mark in music. Uh, it is to give a roar of music. And when you hear that roar of music in the Psalms or what David is writing, what it's, what it's meant to do, and we're going to look at the place that God put it. Remember, these aren't David's words. These are God's words but where the place that it was placed in each one of these uh, verses here, that it was put there to draw attention to that sentence that was being sung. Because remember, they would sing these psalms. They were sacred songs. So in other words, what it really turns out to be, Selah, is almost like a musical punctuation, is really what it is. Three times that is used, and I'll comment about that in the message tonight. Now, some people explain the word selah, and again, I, I believe this is, can be used, especially in the light of what David is writing here, but somebody said that the word selah means there. What do you think of that? There, what do you think of that? 
Now, I want you to think of that for just a moment as we get into this because the use of the word selah three times actually gives us the divisions of this particular psalm. So notice, first of all, tonight, as we look at Psalm 3, the trial of David, the trial of David. Now, again, Absalom, his son, had seized David's throne. David was put there by God, and Absalom is wanting to kill, murder his own father. David had spent about a 24-hour period where he had been on the run. It was a very dreadful time in his life. I mean, certainly if somebody's after you and they want to take your life, your heart is pounding and, I mean, your blood's pumping and you you don't know which way to turn. You don't know if you're going to make it out of there. But after that 24-hour period, God gives David an opportunity to spend a night to gather himself, to kind of think about what is going on. So in spite of the 24-hour period and David fleeing for his life, David has found a place to sleep despite his troubles. And so David, as he rises up and some of his faithful men are there with him, what does he do? He grabs a pen. I don't know what he wrote on. I mean, I don't know in that day they didn't have the materials that we have now, the nice pens. They, don't, they didn't have the nice notebooks. But somehow David begins to write down the thoughts that are in his head, that are going through his mind. His faithful men are looking at him like, the man's running for his life. Why in the world is he actually writing a song? But nonetheless, David writes these words. With a smile on his face, David writes about, notice first of all, the multiplicity of his enemies. The multiplicity of his enemies. See, if you go back historically, here's what you find is that David in his life at this time, he had failed to win over the youth of the day. Now certainly the older folks in David's day, they remembered all that David had done for the Lord and all that David had done for them. But Absalom was a young man who was clever, but he was also cunning. And Absalom had won over the hearts of the youth. And again, in verse number six, it talks about uh, uh, 10,000s of people. David was aware that Absalom's army, it was growing. And, And what's going through David's mind is he's penning these words in this song, reminds me of what uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16. Paul says, for a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. See, David's thinking the same thing. That although uh, things were going well in my life, all of a sudden, my whole world is upside down. David is writing about the multiplicity of his enemies, but then notice he also writes about the malignity of his enemies. How in verse number two, look at it. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. Now, this this malignity, what are they doing? They're slandering David. They're saying untruths. They're trying to defame him. And I want you to notice because, again, he says, they're, they're saying to him, there is no help. Now, the word help, it can be rendered, listen now, I don't think this is changing the word of God at all, but when you study it out, the word help can be rendered salvation. 
There's no help for you from God. God's not going to bail you out, David, this time. In other words, there's no salvation from God. David's enemies are really saying to him that God's not going to be able to help him. But you know, in David's heart, even though the enemy was saying that, David knew that that was a lie. He knew it was a lie. See, the enemy can say what they want. Look in Jonah's day. Jonah says, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. Jonah said, I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation, Jonah said, is of the Lord. Psalm 46, look at this. God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. Anybody ever experience God's help when you're in trouble? I mean, God has bailed me out of trouble I don't know how many times. And David says, look, I hear what the enemy is saying. They're saying there is no help for him in God. There's no salvation for, for him from God. But David knew it was a lie. Then David wrote one word. Guess what that word was? Selah. See, they might say there is no help for thee in God, but David wrote Selah. In other words, what do you think about that? David thought, hey, listen, I know in my heart that God has been and God will always be my help. He will always be my salvation. David was a man who knew God. David was a man, even though he was fumbling in his life and he was failing in life, David knew God and he knew the salvation of God. Folks, listen, no matter what happens in your life, don't let the enemy cause you to believe that you cannot receive help when you're in trouble from God because God is a very present help in time of trouble. Uh, look what Isaiah says, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. See the trial that David was in, but folks, listen, while you're going through it, guess who's going through it with you? God is. He is there with you when the trials come. Certainly, listen, what an upsetting time in David's life that his own son was trying to overthrow him. But I want you to notice beyond the trial of David, notice the trust of David. Now, I wonder what trials do to you. Do trials cause you to doubt God? Or do trials cause you to the place where you trust him even more? David came to this. Look at verse number three. The Bible says again, but thou, David said, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. See, David's describing his assurance in God. David was appealing to God. He uses the name Jehovah. Can I remind you tonight that the word Jehovah of Jehovah God literally means the God who keeps his word. The God who keeps his word. The God of covenant. And you know what David had learned to do? David, like you and I, listen, we need to learn just like David to lean hard on that one fact that we can trust God, that everything that God says is true. 
and that we can trust every word from God. Look, in Genesis 15 and verse number 1, the Bible says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Hey, that was a promise that Abram could lean on, that he could take to the bank, that he had assurance in what God was doing in his life, that God was a shield to Abram, just like God was a shield to David. Listen, when you face those fiery darts, guess what you need? A shield. And guess who your shield is? That God himself. And we see this in David's life. His assurance was based on the word of God. Listen, years ago, I had an opportunity. I, I, I always said that I would never do a sales job. I just didn't want anything to do with it, didn't want anything to do with commission work. And I'll tell you, my hat goes off to people that work commission jobs, and you really have to you kind of watch things, budget things. And, uh, but I actually found myself enjoying it. And one of the reasons why I enjoyed it was because I got to know the product that I was selling before I started to sell it. And because I got to know the product, I had confidence in the product as I sold it, and people could hear it in my voice that I had confidence in the product. I didn't have to lie about what I was selling to them. I got to go out in the field and help to install some of the product and see it firsthand. When they were troubleshooting some of it, I got to go out and see exactly what was going wrong with it. I would call the manufacturer and talk to the manufacturer. I got to know the, the, the parts and things like that better than even those that had been selling the stuff for years before I got there. And so whenever it came to selling it, guess what? I did very well. You know why? Because God blessed, because I had confidence in what I was selling. Well, guess what? There is something that I have way more confidence in than windows and siding, and it's this book right here. It's every word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is all profitable, and you can take every one of these words and trust every single word. I believe that so much, I believe it down to every jot and every tittle. That every last thing that God has given us in his word, that it is wholly trustworthy. And David's assurance was based on the word of God. It wasn't based on his circumstances, because you know why? Circumstances change. It wasn't based on David's feelings. You know why? Because some days, if you're like me, some days I don't feel saved. You ever felt like that in your life? Some days I don't feel like a good Christian. But I'm glad that everything that I'm living for, just like David, is based on the Word of God. David had an assurance in God. And, and look, God had pledged one of those things that David took, took great stock in was that God promised him that he would, he would sit on the throne. Remember that? And how that David knew that in his heart, that that was a promise from God. David knew that God wasn't going to give that throne to Absalom in his rebellion. Look what the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 8. Now therefore, so shalt thou say unto my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took thee from the sheep coat, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people over Israel. See, David had the trial in his life that led him to this place where David shows his assurance in his God. The God that put David on the throne once 
David was confident that he could put David on the throne again. Absalom might be sitting on that throne right now, but David is fully confident he has assurance in God's ability to do that which he said he would do. But not only does does he show his assurance in God, but notice in verse 4, he shows now his appeal to God. Look at verse 4. David says, I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. Boy, if you're in the habit of underlining things in your Bible, you ought to underline that, and he heard me. David said, I cried out to God. When I was going through this, a very difficult time in my life, and David is there and he's thinking about, in his mind, he's going through all the things. And you know what came to David's mind maybe at this time? Was David was thinking in the past. When there was a day in his life where Nathan came to him and confronted him about the sin in his life and how David had done something that he shouldn't have done and he confronted him about the adultery, he confronted him about the murder of Uriah the Hittite. And maybe David was thinking about that. And the Bible records here how in verse number four, he cries unto the Lord. You can almost see David kind of throwing himself down and crying out uh, in repentance towards God. Another psalm, look at Psalm 51. David writes there, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, David says. Look at what it says in Psalm 118. I called unto the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. You know what happens here in verse number four? David says, look, I realize God was dealing with me as his son, and I realized what I was going through, and I'm appealing, I'm crying out, I'm repenting to God. And the Bible says here, look at verse four again. He says, he heard me out of his holy hill. There it is again, Selah. What do you think of that? David says, listen, salvation is of the Lord, Selah. I cried out to my God, he heard me out of his holy hill, Selah. But I want you to see that as David has gone through the trial and he's shown how he trusts the Lord, notice thirdly, we see the triumph of David. In verse 5, look what it says. David says, I laid me down and slept. Isn't it interesting? That's the very next verse after he repented of his sin. You know what that means? His conscience was clear. He was right with God. You can't sleep, folks. If there's something going on in your life that shouldn't be there. And the Bible says, I laid me down and slept. I awake for the Lord sustained me. God got me through the night. He says, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. What is he talking about here? Well, notice his vision. It was a settling vision for David. It was a sustaining one. Psalm 4 and verse 8, David said, the Bible says, I will lay Uh, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Isn't that a blessing there? To know that God is there with us, that God is keeping us safe in the midst of David's torment, in the midst of of, of all that was going on against him, the the treachery of, of Absalom, how David can have a smile on his face because he knows 
that God is there to sustain him. Uh, there were ten thousands of foes with Absalom, but guess what? Ten thousand foes does, is no match for who was with David. David had his God, and he was the Almighty God, the Jehovah God. Psalm 27.3, Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war shall rise up against me, in this will I be confident. What is David describing? He's talking about in his God. He says, look, I know that it doesn't look good. I know that there are a lot that are against me right now, but God shows him that the triumph, victory will be his. So notice not only his vision, but his victory. Look at verse number seven. The Bible says, arise, O Lord. He says, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. You see, David here talks about how there are those against him. Uh, Job described this in his day. Look at in Job 16, they have gaped upon me with their mouth. They have smitten me upon the cheek reproachfully. They have gathered themselves together against me. David hadn't fought this battle with, with Absalom yet. It was something that was still future. They were gathering around him. It was going to take place had God not stepped in, had God not sustained him. But I can tell you this, David in his heart, even though Absalom was mounting his forces, David already knew that God knew the outcome. God knew what was going to happen before it did. And so David sums up this psalm. Look at verse number eight, and he writes, salvation. Remember, they said, there's no salvation for you and God. There's no help for you and God. David concludes and says, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. God is my help. He says, thy blessing is upon thy people, Selah. There he is again. David says, what do you think of that? He says, I know my salvation. God is the one that, is, that has got me back on, on track. And God is the one that has kept me safe and has sustained my life. Salvation, listen, is not the personal property of a preacher or a priest or a pope. Salvation is of the Lord. David knew that. Look, Jeremiah says, truly in vain is salvation hoped for from the hills and from the multitude of mountains. Truly in the Lord our God is the salvation of Israel. Salvation is not in ourselves. It's not in our promotions. It's not in our charities. Salvation is not in our good works. It's not in our creeds. It's not in our fellowships, our baptisms. It's not in our ceremonies. Salvation, David says, is of the Lord, Selah. What do you think of that, David says? <laughs> David says, look, you can say what you want. I know where my help comes from. I know where salvation truly comes from. John the Revelator said, after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. I think John knew what he was writing there. David adds, remember I told you that many believe that the, the, the tag at the end of this, which is really the beginning of Psalm 4, a lot of people believe that it belongs to this Psalm 3 because it says this is for, David writes, for the chief musician. It has to do with smitings. And David says, listen, I have been smitten by the words of the enemy. I'm about to be smitten by the sword of the enemy. God has smitten because of something in my life 
but David is writing and he says, I really believe it has to do with the one who will be smitten for us so that we can all go free forever. Notice what the Bible says as Isaiah wrote, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted. Aren't you glad for the Lord Jesus Christ tonight? Aren't you glad for the Lord Jehovah tonight? The one who keeps his promises, his word. That's right. So when I look at this matter, listen, a lot of times we think of bad when we think of trials, being smitten. But you know what trials do? Trials should cause us to trust. And if we trust God, then guess what's going to happen in our lives? We will have the victory in our lives, the triumph that only God can give. Hey, listen, I'm going to tell you something. David struggled that day, but from the time that he got away from Absalom, God began to work in his life. God was working, and folks, listen, we need to understand when things happen in our lives, God is there, and God wants to help us to have the victory in our lives. Let's pray tonight. Lord, thank you for this evening, for the encouragement from the life of David. Certainly, I can't imagine what it would be like to have one of my own children to rise up, to even want to take my life. But it was a different day with all the warring nations and, of course, much pride in the heart of his son. David himself had been a man that had made some mistakes like all of us. But God, I'm so glad that I could be encouraged tonight that in spite of what he had done, that when he cried out to you, that you heard him from your holy hill. Lord, I'm thankful that as the enemy seems to mount up, as, as the heathen seem to be in control of this world, that we can understand that truly, Lord, salvation belongs to you. It comes from you. Thank you for the encouragement tonight. I pray that we would take this psalm with us, Lord, that it would help us as maybe in our lives the enemy would mount their attack against us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.